Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello, and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at Iran, whose economy is suffering badly as U.S. sanctions are reimposed. Joining me on the line from Tehran, the Iranian capital, is Najma Bojegme, our correspondent there, and here in the studio, Middle East editor Andrew England. Najma, first of all, you've written about the kind of increasingly tricky economic situation right down to the difficulty of getting food, particularly for non-middle-class families. Just give us an idea of how things feel in Tehran and in Iran generally at the moment. Iranians saw relative stability in their purchasing power after Iran signed the nuclear agreement in 2015. Inflation went down from more than 40% to less than 10%, and for a couple of years, inflation stayed around 10%. But after it became almost certain to Iranians that Mr. Trump would put the U.S. out of the nuclear accord, the national currency started falling since the beginning of this year, And uh, it has so far plummeted by more than 50% against the U.S. dollar. So basically, I can say Iranians wake up in the morning and they check the parity rate of real against U.S. dollar. That's their obsession now. It's because the fall of real has not only created daily problems because it's pushing up prices of daily needs like food and basic commodities, but a lot of uncertainty and concerns about a gloomy outlook. The working class are struggling with their daily needs and have basic concerns. For them, it's basically about bread and butter issues. The middle class have their own concerns too. They are panicking that they not only have concerns about their daily issues, but also they are worried that in the not-too-distant future, they could fall into the category of lower-income people. So they have a dignity issue, as well as their concerns about uprising of the poor, which would put their security at stake. So give us a sense of yeah, the political atmosphere, because obviously Iran is a very tightly controlled society, but we have seen protests in the past. Is there a sense that people are blaming the government for this or that there's a risk of popular unrest? I would not say people are blaming one individual or the government of Mr. Rouhani only. It's the whole Islamic Republic that is blamed. As you know, Mr. Rouhani won a landslide last year. His re-election seemed like the last chance that people gave to the Islamic Republic to reform itself. But a lot of disappointment with Mr. Rouhani and any reforms within the Islamic Republic has swept through various social classes. When I talk to people from different walks of life, I have a feeling that it is no longer about this or that government anymore. There is a rare high level of anger in general at the Islamic Republic. And that includes pro-reform or hardline groups and the widening gap between the nation and the state and the lack of trust in rulers is perhaps, I would say, the biggest domestic challenge that the Islamic Republic is facing now. 
It's very interesting, though, that people should focus on the Islamic Republic, because I guess the people running the country could say with some justice, well, this isn't immediate economic squeeze is not our fault. As you say, it's connected to the election of Donald Trump, to the imposition of sanctions, and therefore it's the US, the old enemy, that's putting them in trouble. Yes, and the US sanctions has triggered this and has worsened the situation. I think even without the US sanctions, the Islamic Republic would have faced these days, but maybe not this early. Maybe it would have taken longer. So, Andrew, I mean, presumably Donald Trump and the Trump administration will be quite pleased at this kind of sentiment building in Iran. That's really what they're trying to engender, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we had a briefing from US officials after sanctions were reimposed this week. And they made it very clear that they want to build up the pressure on the regime. They called it an unprecedented campaign to put pressure on the regime. They say they want to change the regime's behaviour. They're not talking about regime change, i.e. pushing for the collapse of the Islamic Republic. But clearly they want to see the economic squeeze. And they mentioned the protest. They're very aware of the protests. We had protests around the new year, which spread across the country. Probably the worst protests at least since 2009. And there have been sporadic protests ever since, smaller protests, but sporadic protests over economic grievances, over water shortages. So the outside world, and particularly anti-regime forces, people are watching this and looking to exploit it and saying this is what's happened. Iranians are fed up with their leaders and we're seeing it expressed in the protests. And I think certainly the Trump administration will say this is the only way to change the regime's behaviour is to put the economic pressure on and that creates a domestic pressure. The question is whether that will work. And one question for the Americans, of course, is that in the past, both during the first sanctions regime and then in the peace feelers, nuclear deal era, there was a united Western Front. Now there isn't. The Europeans did not want to see the nuclear deal scrapped. They haven't gone along with the sanctions. And yet, are the Europeans more or less compelled to go along in a way because of the threat of secondary American sanctions if they keep trading with Iran? I think we have to remember that the nuclear agreement, the JCPOA, was signed by six world powers, so Germany, the UK, France, China, Russia and the US, as well as the EU, and it was endorsed by the UN Security Council. This is very much an international agreement. Now, the Europeans have been very clear that they support the deal, that Iran was complying with it, and this was the best arrangement to deal with a brewing nuclear crisis in the region prior to 2015. The Chinese and the Russians also support the deal. Now, the Europeans give political support to the Iranian regime by standing up to the US administration and saying, you know, we're against the deal being scrapped. But they don't, you're right, they don't have a lot of economic leverage. They put in a blocking statute, which is meant to protect companies that continue to invest in Iran. But the reality is the big companies, the Totals, the Airbuses, they have so much US exposure that it's not worth them risking any sort of sanctions by being in Iran because their US business is so much bigger. The key question will be on the oil. And this has less to do with the Europeans, more to do with the Asian powers. China, India, Japan and South Korea account for 65% of Iran's exports. And it's Iran's ability to export oil which is the key to the economic health of the regime and the regime's ability to deal with the economic grievances of its people. So Najma, how does the regime see it? I mean, do they think that in the end, Western sanctions are dangerous to them, but that they can diversify, that they can sell to Asian countries, to China, to Korea, to Japan, and so on? Yes, sanctions, Western sanctions are taken very seriously. 
And as Andrew said, Iran needs under the circumstances to sell its oil and receive money or basic commodities. If China defies the U.S. pressure and keeps buying Iran's oil, and if Russia also helps Iran to sell its crude, then at least that's what Iranian leaders think. They can resist longer against the U.S. But in any case, this is going to be a short-term recipe and at best a painkiller. Iran's economy cannot survive too long by relying on China and Russia. This is a country that its industries depend on Western technology and know-how. And also people have a modern lifestyle, which means their needs are not limited to basic commodities. This is not North Korea. Iranians have lots of expectations from life. Youth joblessness is also at least 25% and public dissent is rising. We hear, as Andrew said, about small and sporadic protests almost on a daily basis across the country. So the economic situation is so fundamentally grave that it needs major economic reforms. It needs investments. It's not an economy that you can run for years just by selling crude and importing basic commodities. But any major reform needs fundamental political reforms in domestic and foreign policies. Okay, so what are the prospects for reforms? I mean, I guess if the government was really keen to save money, they could look at things like their presumably very costly involvement in Syria. As we are speaking today, I don't see any setbacks in Iran's regional policy. On the surface, it's about protecting the ideology of fighting with the world arrogance, which is the U.S., and its regional ally, which is Israel. But in reality, it's about protecting yourself from any aggression by world and regional powers. The Islamic Republic, I believe, genuinely thinks that without its regional leverages, it could be too vulnerable to foreign plots. And the regime could collapse if it cannot, for instance, threaten Israel, even if it's only in rhetoric, and uh, by that way to prevent the U.S. from attacking Iran. This is so fundamental to the Islamic Republic's survival. And are those arguments broadly accepted by the population, or are they treated with scepticism by the kind of people who are demonstrating on the streets on economic issues as well? Yeah, it's not easy for the Islamic Republic to justify its presence in Syria, Lebanon or Iraq, to ordinary Iranians. Many people were happy to enjoy high levels of security when many parts of Iraq was occupied by ISIS. But they generally question Iran's intervention in regional affairs. For many Iranians, it's not justifiable to spend the country's financial and human resources outside the country. So the situation is obviously very finely poised, and it feels like it's a situation that can't go on indefinitely in this direction. So just to end, I'd like to ask both of you, how do you see things panning out, Andrew first, over the next year? Well, definitely in uncharted territory. I mean, the last time sanctions were severely tightened, Iran was in a gradual decline. The sanctions were tightened gradually, and the country went into a deep recession. Then you had the elections in 2013. Rouhani is elected. He signs the peace deal in 2015. And last year's elections showed how Iranians voted overwhelmingly in favour of the nuclear deal and what that meant, which is engagement with the West and they hoped opening up. So now Rouhani is in an incredibly tight spot. It's uncharted territory. We've got another round of sanctions in November, which is the most 
critical, which is on oil exports and dollar transactions with the central bank, which is going to put far more pressure on the regime. The regime has a history of being pragmatic, of surviving. I think there's a sense that they'll be hoping to outlive Trump, that Trump won't get a second term or that the Republicans do badly in the midterms in November. But really, we're in a stage where we just have no idea what the next step will be, because there are so many pressures on the regime. And this is going from expectation, hopes the economy was rising to being pushed back probably into another recession. And Najma, from your point of view in Tehran, does this feel like a situation that is just going to keep gradually deteriorating? Or do you feel like you're reaching some kind of crunch point? I think the year ahead will be perhaps the most difficult one the Islamic Republic has seen in its 40-year history. I think street protests, as far as I can tell, will continue and get even bigger. Iran's rulers may be right that these protests are fanned by foreign intelligence services and Iranian opposition groups outside the country, but certainly there is a domestic ground for those plots to succeed. I think national currency will further decline, in particular when sanctions on oil take effect in November. But this mounting pressure may force the Islamic Republic to negotiate with the Trump administration, even if that can be the most difficult decision to make for the Islamic Republic. Okay, well, that is a fascinating prospect to look forward to, perhaps, over the coming months. But for now, thank you very much to Najma and Tehran, to Andrew here in the studio in London. World Weekly is going to take a break for the rest of the summer, and we'll be back in September. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.